John chapter 4. Jason, if you've got that mic back there still, I'll have you read for us John 4, 1 through 15. Okay. Here's the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samarians. Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Thank you, brother. All right, let's pray together, friends. Father, you've got your word here in front of us. You've chosen this day, this time, this hour that this group would hear this word I pray that you will absolutely do a miracle in our hearts, that we might see you, know you, and love you more. And that's our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You can be seated. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, the Bible tells us, John, the gospel writer, tells us, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So why is it John, the gospel writer, wrote what he wrote? John told us he chose to write what he did in order to help us believe who Jesus is in such a way that might bring us eternal life. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And the events that John chose to record, the discourses and the miracles, all of them are intended to help you and me to believe in Jesus for life. That's, that makes sense, doesn't it? But now here's the question. If you are already a believer in Jesus... Why continue working through the gospel according to John? I mean, if you already believe, why read a book that's designed to help you believe? How about this? The more we see the person and work of Jesus, the more the Lord strengthens our faith, the more the Lord brings us to love the gospel, 
the more the Lord shows us the character of the Savior, the more we love Jesus, the more joy we have. I think that makes it worth it, don't you? So let me tell you, the passage that we're studying this afternoon, it is one that I believe shows us a Jesus you will want to love You're going to see the love, the compassion, the boundary-crossing heart of the Savior at work. And it should make you love Jesus more, even as this passage should challenge us to want to be more like Jesus. So today, if you're a note-taker, we're going to find three points, three points as we study the beginning of the encounter between the Lord Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. I want you to come with me into this, friends. And here's here's my my call to you. Let's, Let's believe and find great joy. Point number one, if you're a note taker, Jesus sacrifices to save the lost. Jesus sacrifices to save the lost. Look at verses 1 through 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. These verses set the stage for an encounter in which Jesus will seek out a new worshiper. First few verses, we find out that Jesus was heading back north to Galilee from the months that he spent in Judea. That's, that's the southern part of the nation. Galilee's up in the north. Judea's down in the south. Well, the religious teachers in Jerusalem were starting to take note of Jesus because more people were following Jesus than John the Baptist. Now, notice that parenthetical reference to baptism there. The Pharisees thought Jesus was the one baptizing people, just like John the Baptist was, but they were actually mistaken. Jesus did not personally baptize anyone, according to this text. His disciples did the baptizing. Now, just pause for a second and say, why is that an important detail? Why, why Why does John tell us that? Maybe... Maybe in pointing out to us that Jesus did not personally baptize anybody, John the Gospel writer is showing us that you cannot track a line of super baptisms that started at the hands of Jesus. Listen, the value in baptism is not in the person who baptizes you. The value in your baptism is in the gospel that you are proclaiming that you believe through your baptism. Paul did something very similar. If you were ever to go and read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, especially verses 14 to 17, Paul points out to the Corinthians, none of you can claim to have been baptized by me. I mean, there's this person and that person and that person I baptized in my ministry, but I didn't baptize most of you people. Because no Christian should think his baptism or her baptism counts for more if it was performed by a particular pastor. Listen, y'all, if you believed that the goodness of the pastor is what made your baptism count, none of you would let me baptize you. And I wouldn't blame you. <laughs> 
But your baptism isn't better if a famous dude did it. Your baptism isn't better if it was done in the River Jordan or somebody's swimming pool. No Christian should try to track some sort of sacred line of baptism back to the apostle, Paul, or Jesus. All Christians, all Christians simply should be baptized as a personal profession of faith in Jesus Christ and a testimony to the transforming power of the gospel. So if you're a Christian and you have not followed Jesus in baptism, you should. Talk to me about it later if you need help. Well, now, things are getting a little heated in Judah, and Jesus has a plan already. He wants to go back up to Galilee and minister, so he travels north to Galilee. Now, Jesus is not running away from the teachers. You guys know Jesus was no coward, but he knows it's not yet time for the big final confrontation between himself and the powers that be. As John would say in the gospel, Jesus' hour had not yet come. Now, in order to travel from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, technically, Jesus could have avoided Samaria, and there were a few who did that. Some people, if you could imagine the map, right, and if if Galilee is down here in the south, some people would head off to the east, crossing the Jordan River, go way up north outside the Jordan River, and cross it back to get into Galilee. So they could skip Samaria in the middle. I don't know if that works for you or not. I'm not a visual learner. But you get the idea, right? Some folks did that. They crossed the Jordan, went all the way up on the other side, and then came back across. But Jesus didn't do that. Why? Did Jesus want a a quicker journey? I don't know. Most likely, I would tell you that Jesus chose this route for his journey because God had a plan for an encounter in Samaria And Jesus was going to be there for it. Look at verses 5 and 6. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So the sixth hour means it's about noon, the way John gives you time. It's about noon on one of the days of Jesus' journey north through Samaria. And Jesus and his disciples stop at a well in Samaria. And the disciples tell Jesus, you stay here, we're going to go into town, we're going to buy lunch and leave Jesus to sit here and wait outside the town. That is a perfectly normal thing for disciples to do for their leader, by the way. Tell them, you sit down here and, and, and we'll, we'll get the lunch. Don't you worry about it. And John tells us something interesting. Jesus was wearied from the journey and he sits down by the well to rest. Now, again, pause with me for a second because you've got to think about what we just said. Jesus was weary from the journey. This weariness tells the observant reader that Jesus went to great lengths, unimaginable lengths, to seek worshipers. 
Will you remember with me about whom we're talking? At the beginning of this book, John writes in chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Paul challenges us to have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus. And in talking about Jesus, Paul says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, you got to get this or this won't get you. Jesus is God. He's not mini-God, sub-God, less than God. Jesus is God the Son. There's one God. That one God consists of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These are persons who are the one God. They're not parts of God and our brains start to frazzle as we try to really explain the Trinity. But here's what you know. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Spirit is God. There is one God. Jesus is God. Jesus is true God. Jesus has eternally existed as God, as God the Son. And Jesus, because he is God, is worthy of all praise. Jesus, because he is God, is worthy of all glory and all honor for all eternity. And in order for Jesus to come to earth to save our souls, Jesus took on flesh. Jesus did not cling to his right to keep displaying his infinite glory. He empties himself, as Paul says, so that he might take upon himself the very form of true humanity. For Jesus to come to earth, this is what I want you to get. I'm not talking even about his death here. I'm just talking about for Jesus to come to earth is an infinite sacrifice. It is an unimaginable step down for Jesus to set aside the sweet glories of heaven and wrap himself in flesh that will grow hungry and get thirsty and feel pain and all the rest. And you see a pointer to that amazing sacrifice here in John 4. It's the middle of the day and Jesus, God the Son, was wearied. He was tired, thirsty, Sweaty, just worn out. And when you pause to ponder that Jesus, God, actually put himself in a body that would get tired, you should be amazed at Jesus. It should make you love Jesus because Jesus sacrificed more than you have ever dreamed of giving up just to walk this earth. Jesus went to great lengths. And why did he do it? He says that those great lengths that he went to were that he might seek worshipers to seek and save 
the lost. In Luke 19.10, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In Mark 10.45, he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want you to take time even now in your heart, even in this room, even watching the sermon stream online, to say thank you to Jesus for sacrificing so much to seek and save you. Just as at Christmas we marvel at the incarnation of the Son of God today, love Jesus more because you recall he laid aside more than you've ever dreamed of giving up, that he might become flesh like you and me. Thank Jesus for going to unfathomable lengths to seek worshipers. And Christian, here's the question to ask yourself with that. What lengths are you willing to go to in order to get the message of Jesus into the lives of others. Let yourself think about that. Our second point today. Jesus crosses boundaries to save the lost. Jesus crosses boundaries to save the lost. Verse 7 through 9 a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So all of a sudden, we get a new character introduced. A Samaritan woman enters the picture. And she's coming to the well to draw water. And if you lived back in those days, you'd have known something strange is happening here. Had you been alive back then, you'd have known that women do not normally come to wells to draw water alone. Drawing water for the day was a social event. A lot of talk happened as these ladies would fill their buckets and head back home. Neither did women come to draw water in the middle of the day. You know, here in Vegas, we know a little bit about desert life, right? We know if you want to work outside, when is the best time to work outside here in Vegas? Yeah, in the morning before the sun comes up is the best time. Or maybe if you're, you know, really desperate, at night when the sun is going down, but never, like now is not a good time to go outside and work. And if you had a little geographical knowledge of this region, it would tell you that this is an unlikely thing because that well was probably not a very popular place to get water in the first place. The towns that were nearby all have springs from which you could draw water. Going to this well would require more walking and more carrying. Had you lived during that time, you'd have drawn the conclusion that either A, this lady had some sort of crazy water emergency happening at her house, or there's a reason why she is coming to this well all alone at a strange time. Something fishy is happening here. 
And we'll not get there today, but if you look further down the story, you're going to find out that it makes the most sense for us to conclude that this woman has come to the well at this time because she wants to avoid people. Next week, you're going to find out that this woman, she had a bad reputation in town. She wasn't an upstanding moral woman. This woman, like many of us in this room, this woman had a past that she was ashamed of. And at this point in her life, for this lady, things really haven't gotten much better. The Samaritan woman was a social outcast, the kind of woman that other women whisper about when she goes by. And with all that in mind, it's most likely the Samaritan woman, she's going to the well in the middle of the day, hoping, expecting to find it deserted. That's what she wants to find, just an empty well where she can get water and be left alone. That's how it's been for day after day for who knows how long, (laughs) but not today. Today there's a man sitting there, a Jewish man sitting there. And when the woman approaches, Jesus asks for a drink of water. And you and I might not, might not think anything about that request, so, so what? He asked her for a drink. But the woman is shocked. She's taken aback. And one thing I wish, I wish that I knew what the woman's vocal inflection was in this passage. But we don't have any pointers to tell us exactly what it is. This woman might be legitimately puzzled. How is it that you... A Jew, ask a drink of me. I'm shocked. I don't understand why you would even ask me. It's it's so strange. She might have been bitter and snotty. (laughs) How is it you, a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan, for water? We don't know her tone. I wish we did. But either way, the woman's caught off guard that a Jewish man would ask her for a drink. And then in a little parenthetical note there, we see that Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. And literally, the Greek there says that Jews will not use dishes that Samaritans use. And it's because the Jewish people believe the Samaritans to be an unclean people all the time. Now, before we go further, let me take a second to be sure that all of us know who the Samaritans are. Let your mind go back over the history of the Bible and the nation of Israel. God chose the nation of Israel to be a special nation in covenant relationship with himself. This is all about God's plan to bring the Savior into the world. And Israel as a nation, well, what do you guys think? Did Israel obey God well or did they have trouble? They had some trouble. Have you ever had trouble obeying? Any of your children ever have trouble obeying? So... Israel had trouble. They told God, we don't want you to lead us. We'd like you to give us a king instead of you to be our boss. And Israel began around the turn of the millennium. With, they had three kings. They had King Saul, King David, King Solomon. And by the grace of God, those three kings were able to help Israel secure her borders. And the nation developed as a very strong, solid nation. But those kings... Those kings were men. They were sinners. And the flaws in those men threatened the security and the stability of the nation. King Solomon sinned against the Lord. He chased a bunch of women, foreign women, and idols. 
Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was a very unwise, arrogant young man as a king. And under Rehoboam's rule, the, the people of Israel rebelled. And at that point, it's around the year 930 B.C. at that point, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom. It was ruled by kings not descended from David. And that was called Israel or sometimes called Ephraim after the time of the split. Sometimes it was called Jacob even. And then the southern kingdom was ruled by the descendants of David and it was called Judah. Now, one of the northern kings was a man named Omri and Omri built the city of Samaria and he made it the capital city of that northern kingdom. So now we get another name for the northern kingdom. Samaria is tied to the northern kingdom. Sometimes people would say Samaria. They would say Ephraim. They would say Jacob. They would say Israel. They all meant the northern kingdom. Now, in the year 722 BC, the northern kingdom was overrun by the Assyrian Empire, about 200 years after the split. And many people in the northern kingdom were carried off into foreign lands, but some remained. Later, one of the kings of Assyria brought other people into the northern kingdom's land to repopulate the land, even though Assyria was ruling it. And these newcomers intermarried with the people of the northern kingdom that were still in the land, and they created a brand new ethnic people group known as the Samaritans. And the people of Judah, the Jews, by the way, do you guys know that the word Jew is a shortening of the word Judah? The people of Judah believed that the Samaritans were an impure bloodline. They, they thought of the, of the Samaritans as half-breeds. They thought of them as perpetually, ceremonially unclean. And the Samaritans didn't help the cause, their own cause in the eyes of the Jews because the Samaritans would argue with the Jews over points of religion. The Samaritans rejected the writings of the prophets of the Old Testament. They only would use for their scriptures an altered version of the first five books of the Bible. Jews hated Samaritans, thought that they were given to a false, dangerous religion, a perversion of the truth, and the Samaritans thought the same thing right back at the Jews. These folks did not like each other. The woman talking to Jesus was a Samaritan. Jesus, of course, was a Jew, a direct descendant of King David. The woman expected that if this man by the well is like every other Jewish man she's ever met, he's going to hate her. She expects him to look down his nose at her. She expects him to think of her as a second-rate, worthless being. And maybe, maybe in her own sinfulness and guilt, maybe she even thought she would deserve that kind of treatment. But Jesus looks up at her and says, would you give me a drink? He treated her like a person. He treated her like a person with dignity and value. He spoke to her when no one else would. Jesus crossed more than an ethnic barrier by talking with this woman, by the way. Fact is, in the Jewish culture of that time, it was not likely that any man would, would talk to a woman at a place like this. To many people at that time, 
carrying on of conversation between those two would be seen as scandalous. And then if you add the mix that Jesus is a religious teacher, this is a woman of questionable character, uh, Jesus is crossing just about every barrier possible just so he can speak to her. It wasn't socially acceptable for Jesus to talk to her. It wasn't culturally normal for Jesus to talk to her. It certainly was not going to do anything to help his reputation if Jesus talks to her. But Jesus talks with her. Jesus initiates a conversation with a Samaritan, with a Samaritan woman, with a Samaritan woman of questionable moral quality, and in doing so, Jesus shows us that he will not be bound by man-made restrictions in how he's going to go out and save the lost. How happy should it make you to recognize Jesus does not cut you off based on your ethnicity, based on your sex, based on your class, or based on your past. God is going to bring himself a kingdom of people from every nation. And there's not going to be any nationality excluded no matter, no matter where you're from. You're invited. Even more, God doesn't value a class above another. God doesn't value rich people more than poor people. God doesn't value old people more than young people. God doesn't value men above women. God doesn't value the healthy above the sick. How many of you are happy about that one? God's kingdom supersedes every such distinction. Plus, when you remember that this woman has a very checkered past, you can see that God goes through every boundary. Jesus doesn't look at this lady and ignore her because she's a sinner. Instead, Jesus talks to her. He seeks her as a worshiper. He knows he can take her past sins away and he can make something wonderful out of her future. In Galatians 3, 27 to 29, the Bible says to us, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Back in that first point, I called you to stop and thank God. Jesus, for the links that he went to, that he might rescue you from your sin. Now, I call on you to thank God that he included you, that he included you in the offer of salvation. God could have cut you off. God could have chosen not to let Americans into the kingdom. He could have chosen not to let white folks or people of Hispanic descent or whatever people are your people, however you identify yourself. God could have said, I'm not letting that group in. God could have said, I won't let men into my kingdom or I won't let women into my kingdom. God could have said, I will not allow people who have big past failures into my family. But God didn't do that. God chose to call people like you and like me. And he promised that he would make us into new creatures if we'll just give up our lives to Jesus. 
Thank God Jesus crosses boundaries to save the lost. And this might be a time for you to ask yourself, what kind of social boundaries might I have to give up so that I might faithfully follow in Jesus' footsteps? Let me add here as a little aside If you can thank God for allowing all people of all nationalities and all backgrounds into his family. By the way, can you thank God for that? Are you guys happy about that? Okay. Then never allow yourself to be swayed by the modern social movement that is becoming so prominent right now. To divide people based on skin color, gender, or past wrongs an embrace of what people are calling today critical race theory as an example that is a deadly cancer that is growing in the church in America because it calls people to put in place to put their focus on divisions that God has said in his word are eliminated in Jesus Christ Yeah, I want you to understand the lived experience of others. I want you to listen to people when they tell you how their life has been. Yes, sympathize if anybody's been mistreated. Yes, if you have ever wronged anybody, do your best to make it right. But there is nothing for the church of Jesus Christ to gain if we pretend that there are genuine differences we should emphasize between different people groups inside the church. That is anti-biblical, anti-gospel, anti-Christ. Okay, social point aside. Point Three. Still with me? All right. Last point for today. Jesus gives eternal life. Look at 10 to 15. Jesus answered her. I wish I had Jesus' inflection here, by the way. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well's deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He he gave us this well and drank of it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. On the surface, the conversation here between Jesus and the Samaritan woman was getting to an interesting place. She's focused on why he would even ask her for a drink. Jesus responds by telling her, if she only knew the gift of God, if she only knew the very one speaking to her, she'd ask him for a drink of living water. The woman's confused. She's thinking earthly still. How in the world could this be? How could could you get me a drink? 
You have no bucket. You have no rope. That well, which by the way, you could go visit it in Israel like today. Well, take a long time to get there. Maybe tomorrow. You could go visit it. It's 100 feet deep. It's fed by a spring underneath, but it's 100 foot down to get to the water in that well. And it was probably the same back then. So yeah, a guy says, I'd give you a drink and he has no bucket in his hand or no rope. You're going, that, you can't do that. The woman's confusion here reminds us of how Nicodemus was confused when Jesus told him, you must be born again. Nicodemus got focused on the literal sound of the metaphor and he missed the spiritual implications and so does the woman for the most part. But one thing the woman begins to perceive is that the man to whom she's speaking may be more than he appears on the outside she asked Jesus, are you greater than Jacob? Also known as Israel, by the way. Are you greater than the one who dug this well originally, our forefather? She expects that there's no way this traveler is going to claim to be greater, greater than Jacob. Jacob's a pretty big name. But Jesus lets her know that indeed he is greater than Jacob, much greater. He tells her, if you drink from this well over here, Jacob's well, you're going to get thirsty again. That makes sense because the well can only give her physical water. How many of you have noticed that you never get finished eating and drinking? Right? I mean, how many of you had lunch today? Let's start there. How many of you had lunch today? How many of you assume I'm done eating forever? No. How many of you would have food right now if I gave it to you? There you go. I know how you are. How many of you, again, you ever drink and think, man, that's the last water I'm drinking, done. I'm all done. That's not how we work, Right? We're never completely satisfied by food and drink. But Jesus tells this woman that the water he has to offer her, it'll satisfy her soul eternally. Those who drink his water have a wellspring of eternal life within them. Now, next week, we're going to watch. This woman misses what Jesus is saying here. She keeps thinking about physical water. But what Jesus is offering her is something far better. Jesus is offering, offering this woman total forgiveness, glorious, real, eternal life. You know, there's no doubt. I, I think this woman was needy. She was thirsty. I think if you really could look into her heart to a degree, I mean, I don't know what kind of person she was because there's different kinds of folks that do different things. But I would just guess that she wanted to be loved. That she longed to be accepted by someone. She probably deeply desired that anyone would think of her as something more than something to, someone to sleep with and then discard. And Jesus looks at this woman and treats her like a human being. And he offers her the very thing she needs more than anything else in the universe. Eternal life. He offers her the Spirit of God to satisfy her soul because the Spirit of God satisfies our souls so that we do not have to thirst spiritually. There's no way I can put into words the true depth of satisfaction God has for people like you and me. All of us live like this woman coming to the well with great needs and deep desires whether we recognize it or not. 
We all thirst. We all long to be filled. We long to be worth something. We long to feel like we're accomplishing our purpose. We long to be satisfied. And Jesus said, I have living water to give you. And this living water will satisfy your soul so much that your soul never ever needs to look to be satisfied anywhere else. If you're a wise person, you will immediately want to know, how do I get this water? I want to close by pointing you back to Jesus' words to the woman because Jesus said to her in verse 10, verse 10, If you knew, you would have asked and he would have given. You get that? If you know, ask and he will give. Jesus brings salvation to the lost. Jesus gives life to the dead. Jesus gives satisfaction to the human soul. Jesus quenches our thirst with living water. And Jesus can do that because Jesus is God who took on human flesh. Jesus is God who died to pay the price for every single sin he will ever forgive. Jesus is God who rose from the grave after making a perfect sacrifice for sins and he is alive right now. Now you know, if you ask Jesus for the gift of living water, he will give it to you. You need only come to him in faith and repentance. You need only come to him in faith, turning from sin. Ask Jesus, please Jesus, give me grace. Ask Jesus, please Jesus, forgive me my sins. Ask Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust you and only you to save my soul. Trust Jesus to satisfy your heart. Jesus promises he'll give you living water. He'll change your heart. He'll make you new. He'll do this for the one who believes and who asks. Christian, Christians, if you're a Christian, you and I have the gift of living water that we can offer to others because we can tell people about Jesus. We need to look around a world full of hurting people with past they're ashamed of and say, there's life for you. You can have eternal life. I would encourage you, Christian, to pray that God will give you the chance to point somebody to Jesus. And I want to remind you, it's not your job to make them believe. That's God's job. It's your job to tell them the truth. And you can offer them living water. Now, at this point, we're going to leave the conversation between Jesus and this woman. Lord willing, we'll pick it up next week. If you have not yet believed in Jesus, I urge you, come to Jesus to find life today. 
And if you have trusted in Jesus, let the things that you've seen and heard make you believe in Jesus more. Let it make you love Jesus more. Jesus sacrifices to seek worshipers. Jesus crosses all boundaries to seek worshipers. Jesus gives the water of life, eternal life, to those who come to him in faith. Love this Jesus. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, even as we bow now, we cry out to you. We say thank you, Jesus, that you crossed boundaries, crazy big boundaries, to come to save our souls. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, that you, that you sacrificed greatly. I can't imagine how far down you stepped to become a man. We thank you, Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we know that you are the only one who has water of life to give us. We thank you for that love. We thank you for that grace. First, Lord, if anybody here doesn't know you, I plead with you that you would work in their hearts to make them believe. Help them know, help them ask, and give them eternal life. And Lord, for those who do know you, help us to be willing to sacrifice to take the message to others. Help us be willing to cross boundaries. Help us be willing to never let into our church things that would divide people based on ethnicity or past wrongs. And help us, God, to take the water of life to other people. That's our prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.